exciting episode of the fire and water podcast the official podcast of firestormfan.com and aquamanshrine.net i am one of your hosts rob kelly from aquamanshrine.net and uh shag is back on his smell the glove tour so joining me for this episode is our frequent guest star michael bailey mike thanks for coming back and doing the show again <laughs> I thought about entering, starting the show like that, but I, I, I decided to go with something a little more subtle. So thank you very much for that. Uh, <laughs> well, to be fair, if you were going to do that, I was actually thinking I would have to say, I've been brought on to the fire and water show again, yeah. <laughs> so. Yes, this will be a very ethnically diverse episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. Despite <laughs> and by its... ethnically diverse, meaning there will not be an ethnicity we will not offend at some point during the course exactly, of Exactly, right, yes, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, as any of you might have guessed, or if you've already looked at your uh, eye, your zone phone or whatever, uh, we, Mike and I are going to be covering Blackhawk, uh, specifically the issues of Blackhawk done by Mark Devenier and Dan Spiegel, which is Blackhawks 251 through 273, although we will not be covering all of those issues in this show. That's a little too much to handle. But before we get to all that, we have to thank our sponsor, InStockTrades.com. This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Mike, what do you have? Well, I have Showcase Presents Blackhawk Volume 1. This 512-page book covers the 1950s adventures of Blackhawk, specifically Blackhawk 108 to 127. Uh, You've got artists like Dick Dillon, Sheldon Moldoff, and uh, Charles Chudera. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce that name. I think it's Quidera, I think. Quidera? Something like that. That, that sounds better. I, I, I apologize to all involved. Uh, the list price for this is sixteen ninety nine, but with a 45% discount, you get this for $9.34. Very nice. Good deal. Good deal there. And luckily, those are not the ones where they're superheroes. 
So yes. you, you can avoid all, you can avoid all those. Uh, my selection is from Two Morrows. This is called Dan Spiegel, A Life in Comic Art, soft cover. Dan Spiegel is one of the most respected comic artists of the last 60 years with a career spanning the golden age of comics through the modern era. In this book, author John Coates documents Dan's entire life in comics through interviews filled with insight into the comic industry, colorful anecdotes of meeting celebrities, plus an examination of Dan's artistic process. It's 104 pages, uh, black and white and color. Normal price is $17.95. In stock trades price is $14.36. That's 20% off. If you're a fan of Dan Spiegel's work, as as I am, you will love this book because all those two Mars artist books are really good. So this looks, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they, and there's a great, uh, the cover, it's got Crossfire and Rainbow drawn by uh, Dan Spiegel, and then even some Blackhawk stuff, and then some, some Hopalong Cassidy, I believe. So it's really a nice book. So for these and all your other trade paperback needs, visit InStockTrades.com, and we thank them for their support. So, Mike, uh, explain to everyone listening at home why you specifically wanted to join me here to talk about Blackhawk. Where did you, where does this run come in, in in your life? Did you come to it at the time or later on or what? Well, it, uh, the comic shop I go to right now, uh, Dave's Comics in Fayetteville, uh, which is one of the few comic shops you will ever go to where it's a comic shop and a bowling pro shop in the same building. Wow. Uh, because he has two loves, comics and bowling, and he managed <laughs> to combine those into, into one business. But he, <laughs> Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> he tends to buy collections from people. Uh, since he's one of the few comic shops in this, you know, on the south side of Atlanta. And he buys them at a pretty decent uh, rate for himself. I don't know how the people who's selling them uh, make out. But he'll just throw books out there at, like, really, uh, like a, an extremely cheap uh, price because he doesn't pay a whole lot for them. Right. And I was looking through his war books at one point because I'm like, you know, I've got to expand my comic book horizons. And he had this entire '80s run of Blackhawk for like a buck fifty a piece, mm. and I'm like, you know what? I've got the cash right now. It's only like twenty seven odd issues, so I snapped it up. And at the same time, I because because of you, <laughs> I blame this all on you, Rob. All right, uh, you and I believe Chris Franklin were talking about the Fireside DC books that came out in the '70s on Facebook. And I had never even known that Fireside did DC collections. I know they did all those Marvel books, right. uh, which you recently talked about. Right. And I was just like, okay. So I found the War one on eBay for like 20 bucks, which I thought was a good price for that. That's a great price for that. Uh, and I, I was going to read like a story of that a day, and then I was going to start in on the Blackhawk. And like the first story in the book is Blackhawk the first appearance of black hawk. Mm. So I'm like, okay, I need to read these books. And then you mentioned something about it online. And I'm like, okay, Rob and I've got to talk about these, <laughs> uh, because I'm sure you read these as they were coming out. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm the new guy to this, not to black hawk because I, I read the Howard Chaikin miniseries years ago. Right. And his, the black hawk strip at action comics weekly was really good. I think Rick Burchett was doing the artwork. Yes, on Martin that. Martin Pasco was yeah. writing those, right? Yeah. And I and because of that, I went and hunted down the late '80s, early '90s series, and really enjoyed that. But that's that's my entire experience of Blackhawk outside of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Hmm. 
So I wanted to kind of broaden my horizons on the character, and I'm really glad I did because these are some great books. Yeah, these are. Uh, yeah, I, I did buy these at the time. Uh, I didn't buy the whole series because basically at the back then they were hard to find. Uh, you know, I was still in 19, these came out, number 251, which was the sort of iter, you know, next iteration of the series, came out in 1982. I was still buying comics at 7-Eleven, and, uh, you know, Black Hawk was not a book that showed up very much. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, you were limited to what you could get. Nowadays, of course, that's a completely unknown concept, but, you know, the, 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 the sort of off-brand titles did not show up consistently. So I would buy Black Hawk when it came out, but it never came out all that much. I just... You know, it was like, oh, okay, what do we have? Spider-Man, all right, I'll buy that, and Avengers, and Justice League, and Brave and Bold. But, you know, Blackhawk just didn't ever surface all that much, which had to be frustrating to, you know, DC and to Mark Evanier, particularly, because he's mentioned that in some of the columns about how, you know, when people could get the book, it sold pretty well. It's just they couldn't get it a lot of the time. So um, we should give some context for this series as to why it came back as um, you know, quote unquote, the first issue of the series is number two fifty one, which was picking up the numbering from the previous Blackhawk series from the seventies. Uh, and you know, ironic, you know, with the way it is nowadays, where DC and Marvel fall over themselves to start over number one. Apparently, Mark Evanier actually requested that they start over number one, and DC said no. <laughs> uh, they they started it at, at two fifty one, which confused people. And there's even some letters in some of the issues saying. Where are the other two hundred and fifty? You know, like where? Like I didn't see number two fifty out a month ago, and you're like, well, it didn't come out a month ago. It came out ten years ago. Now, was this still because they would have had to pay some kind? Because I know that like Marvel continued a lot of its, you know, like you know, Strange Tales, right? Became Doctor uh, Strange, and yeah, and all that. Now that was because they would have to pay a certain price for postage rates or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's like there's some sort of permit you have to get and you have to get one for every title that you register or something like that. And if you cancel a book, I think you don't you have and, and you start a new book, you have to buy a new permit. And that's really expensive and apparently takes a long time. So that's why, yeah, they would get in this habit of I guess now that comics are just not through the mail anymore. I mean does, yeah. that, does anybody subscribe to comics? I, I don't even know if DC Marvel even offer it. Bob Fisher did. Really? And does, yeah, on, on Action Comics. They still offer it. You can you can still subscribe to comics, yes. Oh, I find that very charming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I really am. I'm really glad to hear that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess since, since it's just such a – I guess the laws are different. So, yeah, nowadays you just start over number one constantly. I mean, imagine all the mailing permits DC would have to buy for Batman, all the number ones they've put out. <laughs> Or, or Marvel would would like go bankrupt with yeah. all the, the every new twelve numbers. issues we're starting over. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, yeah. So this this Blackhawk series was restarted, uh, pretty much as Mark Evanier tells it uh, in several different places. Pretty much solely because apparently Steven Spielberg had optioned Blackhawk for a movie, and he had was sort of sniffing around and I guess you know considered it. And DC was just like, well, we, we want a Blackhawk book out there. That's that's all. I mean, that's the same reason why Saga of the Swamp thing got restarted. It was because of the movie. They just wanted a book out there just in case the movie ever happened. And um, a couple different decisions were made sort of simultaneously. One, it was decided as on a more artistic level, we got to return these guys to World War II. Because they had been set in the modern era, which didn't work. They had been turned into superheroes, which was sort of famously disastrous. Um 
And it just, you know, apparently Mark Evanier also had expressed that he had no interest in writing Black Hawk other than in World War II. Um, so, so that decision was made. And they also decided that because the book was being put out solely for this movie tie-in, DC was not going to spend a lot of money on it. And that became a, a recurring theme throughout these, these issues is that apparently DC really put no marketing effort to this. So, you know, again, while people thought it was a good book and it was got a lot of critical uh, uh, good notices and it sold well when people could get it, it never was a big seller because a lot of people just didn't know it was around and DC never bothered to do any ads for it. I certainly don't remember seeing any ads, any house ads for it at the time. And I was buying a lot of DC books. Yeah, the only time I ever, in, in going back and reading the in reading DC from this era, the only time I ever really remember seeing, like, Black Hawk on anything was, like, on an ad for, like, other DC books. Like, yep. they had a bunch of covers up. And it was the Hitler cover. Uh, I remember being on one of those. And, 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 in fact, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to check the title out. Because I'm like, you know, I like, I like World War II era stories. Uh I just, I like that era. Sure. I, I, I like, you know, all, not, not just in terms of all-star squadron or anything, but just anything set in world war two, because it's, I think it's <laughs> not to get too controversial, but I think it's like the last time that as a country, we can feel good about a war we were in, you know, you know, it's like we were fighting the bad guys. So yeah. Anything involved with that and Blackhawk in particular it's one of those characters that anytime I talk to somebody from our dad's generation, this is one of the comics they read. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Blackhawk was is a huge seller in the forties and fifties. Yeah. You know, and my dad in particular, who always he he never told me I shouldn't collect comics, but it was always just like one of those things where he would just look at me and and just kind of shake his head. It's just like, well, as long as as long as he's doing something and he's not into drugs or anything, <laughs> this is fine. But he would always say, yeah, when we were kids, because he was an Army brat or an Air Force brat, I guess I should say. He's just like, yeah, when we go to the PX, we'd, you know, we'd read comics all the time. And uh, he goes, I loved Blackhawk. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, that's fine. And, and a friend of mine's dad, who I worked with at Home Depot, at one point we were talking about comics. He's like, yeah, I was never really into them. But, man, I like that Blackhawk. <laughs> It's just like I was like, "What the hell is with this Blackhawk?" This must be must be one damn amazing comic book. Wow! (laughs) Where did you learn to read comics, Mike? I learned it from watching you, Dad. (laughs) But uh, and in reading the first appearance, I kind of see why. You know, it it was a really strong Golden Age comic. Well, we should mention it was created by Will Eisner. Yeah, uh, you know, an artist of some renown. He he may have been big some at some point yes. in the industry. Yes, the so. mildly talented Will Eisner. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, so I guess we should. Um, oh, I, I'm going to mention this uh, to, to start off. We're not going to try and cover all twenty. There's two fifty one through two seventy three. We're not going to try and cover all twenty two issues here. Mike and I both decided we really couldn't do. Uh, justice to all these trying to cover them all in just one episode. So we're going to break this up into into two shows, and this is actually going to be a podcast crossover. We are eventually going to do part two over on Mike's show, Views from mm-hmm. the Long Box. So that'll come along later. So for right now, we are going to be doing uh, just little brief looks at 251 through 260. Because a, a new storyline sort of started at 261, we figured this is a good stop, stopping point. Um, before I get into like any of the details, like what was your when you read these, what was your overall 
impression of them when you I mean obviously you like them because you're here but I mean would, would did they surprise you were they as good as you maybe thought they were or what what was your reaction I I was one shocked how much I like Dan Spiegel's art mm-hmm. because historically I'm not a fan of his and it's not and it's and when I say that I, I say that as I say with most things where I recognized how he's talented but because I think the main thing I was exposed didn't he do Nemesis? Yes, he did. I was never a fan of those, and I always thought his work looked kind of stiff. And so I was just like, ah, Dan Spiegel. So I open up the first issue, and I'm like, holy crap! Yeah, <laughs> like this is great. This isn't stiff at all. His his page design is amazing, and from there I just really got into these characters and you know they all have their own personalities you know they you know evan year does the comic book uh thing that i usually it's written into the script Mm -hmm. but to me that's part of the charm of these characters because it was the blackhawks are are a great con because it's all these people from different countries that are just pissed at the nazis you know, it, it's like Inglorious Bastards, except with all instead of all of them being Jewish, they're all just like people from different countries that got screwed over or just wanted to fight the Nazis. So they're there as this ragtag band of fighter pilots that uh, you know that just go in and 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 they're superheroes, but not really. You know, they have costumes, but they're not like Green Lantern or or, or Batman or something. So it's it's like a weird hybrid of everything. So. My first real, uh, you know, exposure to this kind of more, quote-unquote, traditional as compared to what Marty Pasco and Howard Chaikin did is I love these characters and I like seeing them on their adventures. And, and it, that sounds simple, but that's it. That, that was my appeal to it. Yeah, I mean, each of the, uh, for anyone who is not familiar with the team, it's basically the seven guys, and each of them hails from a different country that was under threat from the Axis powers. So you've got the leader, which is Blackhawk, who, uh, I guess for a long time they didn't reveal where he was from, and then they finally gave him an origin story that he's from Poland. And then you've got um, Andre from France, uh, uh, Chuck, who is from the United States, Hendrickson, who was from, where was Hendrickson from? I think it's Germany, I think. Um, but he's, you know, not one of those. Uh, and you've got um, uh, Olaf, and then uh, Stanislaus, who is sort of Blackhawk's second-in-command, and then the sort of delicately caricatured Chop-Chop, who <laughs> hailed from, you know, hailed from um, Japan. And these were traditionally the characters. Now, in the early days, you know, Chop-Chop was unfortunately, like, really... Uh, pretty badly racist caricature. Yeah. Um, and and Evanier deals with that uh, over time. And these in these some of these stories, he deals with those issues. I mean, Evanier was certainly willing to tackle fairly complicated stuff. But we're exactly we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. Um, just a brief. I'm not going to do a synopsis for these issues because I said we don't have the time, and I'm bad at that anyway. But the super brief plot of the first one, which is 251. It starts with the Blackhawks. They parachute into a small Dutch town, which the Nazis are poised to take over under the guise of a free election. Uh, One of the residents is in possession of hundreds of priceless paintings whom Blackhawk 
tries to convince that the Nazis cannot be trusted. Blackhawk is then kidnapped, so the team has to go undercover to find him. Uh, that's the basic bare bones of the plot. Now, Mark Veneer does quite a good job giving everybody a distinct personality, which mm-hmm. is kind of tough to do when you've got seven guys all to deal with, and they're all kind of dressed the same, except for Chop Chop, who didn't wear a traditional Blackhawk uniform. Uh, but yeah, Dan Spiegel, you know what's funny? It's like I give, I, I, my lack of enthusiasm for Kurt Swan is, is well known. I've mentioned it a bunch of times on the show. and But I love Dan Spiegel's work. But I sort of get the same criticism that people lob at Dan Spiegel that people, that I lob at Kurt Swan. Like, mm-hmm. I, I find Kurt Swan stuff to be kind of pretty stiff and boring. And there are people who say that about Dan Spiegel. And I get that they – I get why they say it, but I just don't see it. You know, I look at this stuff, and to me, it's it, – they, to me, they almost look like woodcuts. They have this very classical look to them, yet they have a ton of movement. And, and boy, does he draw, draw sexy women. I mean, good Lord. But we'll get to that, too. Uh, I, yeah, I really love his stuff. And the reason he was drawing the book – is because he's a longtime collaborator with Mark Evanier. And Mark Evanier apparently, like, asked DC to put him on the book. And, again, I guess because they had no expectation the book would sell, they said sure. So that's why... Uh, <laughs> we got nothing to lose. We got nothing to lose here. So that's why Blackhawk is one of many books that they come from the team of Evanier and Spiegel. They went on to do Crossfire for Eclipse, and they had done Scooby-Doo before this. <laughs> so they've, they've collaborated for many, many projects, and it's, Evanier is just, like, the biggest fan in the world of Dan Spiegel. What what struck me about the artwork is that it is both modern to the '80s, and yet still looks like a period piece. Like one of the things, and I think you guys have have, have talked about this on the Who's Who podcast, is the tarantula, for example, as designed by Jerry Ordway. The new tarantula outfit that was developed in All Star Squadron looks like an '80s costume, right? But it's set in the 40s. But it looks like an 80s costume. Here, the artwork looks like it's from the 80s, but everything is period appropriate. Mm-hmm. And the level of detail he puts into it, and his people are just... It's like Tim Sale, almost, where you know some artists draw really good-looking people for everything. You know, All of these people look like they've lived their life. Even their leader, <laughs> even their leader who's like the dad, know leading man type he looks like he's been through hell and i think that's why i appreciated it because you know this is a rough story i mean you know they they go into this town there they face opposition from the locals and then you know even though they win at the end one of the townspeople suffers this horrendous loss and it's almost like a twilight zone episode at that point where it has like this twist ending. It's like we won, but we kind of lost at the same time. Yeah, um, yeah. Even though uh, Winston Churchill's, and I'm not going to do a Winston Churchill like I would do an FDR. Uh, <laughs> I, I just don't know. I do like that it ends with them singing the uh, the, the the Blackhawk song, mm-hmm. uh, which when they have the Blackhawks on that uh, flashback episode of Justice League, right. Savage Time. They actually, the person doing the scoring actually scored the Blackhawk scene, scene to the music that's playing. You could sing this these lyrics to. That's wonderful. <laughs> that was the best show. Those guys are just yeah. the best show. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. It, it, it does look very sort of retro but modern at the same time. Dan Spiegel all, all draws very distinctive people. 
Mm-hmm. They, they have very distinctive faces, very uh, distinct body types. I mean, there's a sequence here featuring kind of a big Brunhilde type woman. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> she looks like a Burgermeister Meisterburger. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. like if you, if, you, if you handed that to a modern artist, like she would look hot. Because that's like all yeah. that's all that kind of a lot of comic book artists now know how to draw women as. It's like you know Amanda Waller now can no longer be heavy. She's got to be you know super hot. But here these look like real people. And you know one of the things that that starts right off on this issue, and I've mentioned this before on on the Fire and Water podcast, where it's like one of the things that frustrates you about modern superhero comics or mainstream comics, I should say, is to me they're not about anything anymore. They're just about mm-hmm. themselves. They're yeah. just about perpetuating the universe. And Mark Evanier's stories are about something. I mean, yeah, they're about the characters and how they react, but they're about something else. They're about some other basic human emotion. And in this, this first issue, these, you know, this small town is being told by the Nazis, no, 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 you're going to have a free election. Uh, we're not here to conquer you. And some of them buy into it. And the Blackhawks are saying, no, no, no. They're going to – doesn't matter how you guys vote. They're going to force you to vote them in, and then they can say, hey, they voted us in, and then we're going to rough shot. It's, you know, it's, it's about something. And the fact that Evanier tells a complete story in 23 pages while also introducing all seven characters plus setting up future storylines is, you know, it's remarkable. It really is. And I just don't think you see a whole lot of that nowadays, and that is something I miss because it's like – Every single one of these Blackhawk stories, although some of them do continue into multiple chapters, yeah. they, they are, you know, they're stories. They are they're an actual story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, and I find that extremely satisfying to, 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 to read. I, I found it that way at the time, and I find it that way now when I go back and read them again. Well, it's like the, the gentleman that's that, that's hoarding all the art. You know, the Nazis say, we're not going to touch this, and that's why he doesn't want to fight against them, because he feels he's holding on to this cultural history. And, you know, at the end, Blackhawk comes in and says, what convinced you to lead the fight against the Germans? And he's surrounded by all of the artwork. It's been defaced. It's been destroyed. There's swastikas on it. And the old man just says, oh, nothing in particular. And it's just heartbreaking moment. Yeah. Because you realize that the only reason this man fought is that he lost everything. So suddenly the Nazis may... And it's the most dangerous thing you can do. Never give somebody... Put somebody in the position where they have nothing to lose. Because then they're going to fight you twice as hard. Because they have nothing to lose. I mean, the worst thing is, it's like, an, it's a cliche at this point where the bad guy will kill the good guy's family in front of him, thinking that will break him. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it has the exact opposite effect. Yep. So, but yeah, that's what I liked about these, these issues is that they're complicated. Mm-hmm. Some of them are a little heavy handed. Uh, we'll be talking about one of those later, but they're they're not like typical the Blackhawks, you know, hear about the the Nazis are over here, so they go fight the Nazis and they win, and then they go back to Blackhawk Island and hoist a few. You know, it's not like that. It's dealing with real people and kind of showing, I think, you know, everyone's perception of World War II is usually from their history class, where it's just like, yep, we went in there, we've suffered a few defeats, but in the end we won. And huzzah! And it's like no, there. It was a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I appreciated the the level of 
I don't want to say realism, but realism that he put into it. I mean, you know, Winston Churchill's on the very last page. So there you have a historical figure mixing it up with, you know, a, a fictional hero. And so it, it lends it more credibility. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's a great start to the series. I mean, once again, this is the beginning of a series that tells a contained story. I honestly don't remember the last superhero comic book I bought where the first issue was not a continued story. You know, like this is this is a complete and utter, you know, there's more to come. But it, you could just read this one. If this was the only Black Hawk comic you've ever read. I think you'd be fairly satisfied. You would have a handle mm-hmm. on all the characters. You, they're they're interpersonal relationships and stuff. So, yeah, it's really it's a really really great great beginning of the series, and it features a a nice uh, editorial by Evanier, who essentially eventually became the editor of the book. Um, Marv Wolfman and Len Wein, and then later Ernie Cologne were editors, but that seemed sort of nominal at best. Uh, it really seemed like Evanier was steering the ship. Uh, in, I missed text pages. I missed te- oh, I yeah. missed text pages so much. Yep. Oh, that's how I learned about comics history. Were yeah. text pages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, next up is in set number two fifty two, and this is kind of a big issue in terms of the history of Blackhawk because two different Blackhawk concepts are introduced: the assassin Domino, uh, who is sent to kill the Blackhawks, and is uh, as Shag would say, she's hot. And the War Wheel, which actually got a who's who listing, uh, and it's it's a giant red wheel <laughs> with spikes on it that smashes things. Couldn't that be a more simple concept? But it's still very intimidating. Um, the Blackhawks are sent to find Professor Merson, a scientist captured by the Nazis. Domino and Blackhawk cross paths, and while she does try and kill him, it seems that our hero has caught her eye. Domino grabs Merson back from the Blackhawks, but doesn't kill Blackhawk, even though she had the chance. Um, this is something, again, about Dan Spiegel that I think there's something about Dan Spiegel's work that makes it look, I guess, somewhat safe uh, because he gives Domino way more cleavage mm-hmm. than could ever be gotten away with in a regular comic book. I mean, if, if George Perez had done this or John Byrne, the comics code would have been like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. But there's something about Dan Spiegel that I guess it just seems less threatening or something, but nevertheless... I mean, you know, it, it's kind of eyebrow-raising that this was in a code-approved comic. Yeah, I I liked this because, one, uh, you know, I was familiar with the War Wheel. Again, thanks to that uh, Savage Time movie from Justice League. Right, they, they worked the War Wheel into it. Right, right. Uh, so I, I'm always one of those people that's like, ah, that's where it came from. That's great. I like <laughs> that a lot. But, you know, th- there's always something about the femme fatale. Yep. That's at, uh, on one hand very cliched, but on the other hand, I love it, so I don't care. It always works. I, I mean, you know, she she's sent to kill him, but she just can't because there's something about him because he's so you know star spangled awesome and you know <laughs> he's Blackhawk and all that. But it's just like no, that, that that that's that's the trope. I mean, that's that's what you do. And to be fair, she kicks the hell out of him. Yes. I mean, it, it, it's not like she doesn't, like, get a few shots in. She beats him. Yeah. And I liked that. I was just like, wow, this is this is a rough book. I <laughs> level of violence in here. And I realize it's probably because DC just wasn't paying attention. Uh, as long as they weren't getting letters against it, I guess they probably didn't care. But uh, my favorite piece of art in this is page eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shot of all of the Blackhawks undercover. Yes. Uh, Casino Royale style. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, 
at, at, at the casino, especially Andre, uh, who looks like Timothy Dalton a little bit. So uh, that works out for me. No, it's just this was a fun issue. It's just like you have the war wheel. You have the, you know, the introduction to the series to Professor Merson, who is becomes a constant thorn in their side. I mean, it's just like this is a universe building one and done story. Yep. I, I'm retroactively annoyed that Domino did not get a who's who listing. Yeah, why not? I mean, seriously, she was all over this book. She, I mean, she, she is like the main villain of this whole Evanier run, and yet she doesn't. I was like, what's that about? So, yeah, that that that's especially when the War Wheel got one, a, 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 a non sentient object, stiletto. Yeah, from Hex got a who's yeah. who entry. Yeah, I mean seriously, I I I demand a recount. Yeah, I, I I think you know we got we got where's Robert Greenberger? Yeah, we, I that seriously, stuff. I got to email him and say, Bob, what the hell's up with that? So yeah, um, so this issue features yet another text piece uh, again. This time it's Evanier uh, giving the history of sort of uh, uh, comics publishing and the, his relationship with him and Dan Spiegel and stuff. So that was something else that I was loved about Mark Evanier's text pages is that he was completely unafraid to mention other companies' comics. Mm-hmm. For many years, that was like a verboten thing. Like you always had to pretend. That, you know, oh, yeah, there are other comics. You wouldn't want to read them, though, because Marvel's the best. You know, you're like, okay. But no, he was just like, yeah, Scooby-Doo from Gold Key. That's it. Like, what's the big deal? You know, it's, it's fine. Um, I should mention all of these books' covers, um, not all of them, but at least the first couple, will be by Dan Cockrum. Yes. Who was a big fan of the Blackhawks. And as we'll see as we go down through the series, that, you know, there are probably a lot of comic book artists that really loved drawing something else other than superheroes. Because they were doing, they would volunteer to do horror comics or war comics, probably for like less than their normal rate. I mean, Dave Cockrum was a big star in, yeah. uh, in 1982, and here he is doing Blackhawk covers. Uh, you know, and then later on we'll get to Howard Chaykin. Two ads was, in here. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. There's two ads in this issue that really struck me. The DC is on the move ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the new DC, we're on the move in 82 with Camelot 3000. Arion, Lord of Atlantis, Supergirl, and Blackhawk. Oh, there's Blackhawk. There he is. Jeez, I just said he didn't. That's the only time I could ever think of it that he was in an ad. Oh, that's nice to see. Good. There he is. <laughs> and there is a Remco Sergeant Rock ad. Yes, and, of course. Uh, Remco, sign of quality. Yes. I had all those figures. No, wait, I had the Warlord ones, not the Sergeant Rock ones. I didn't have the. So you were a frequent. Uh, shopper at Kmart. I'm Apparently, I was. It's sort of a shame <laughs> to say. Uh, in uh, so we're on, moving on. Blackhawk two fifty three. This issue features uh, Hendrickson mostly, and about how he feels ignored and mocked by his fellow teammates. Uh, it, it's it's done in sort of an epistolary style as he's writing a letter to his wife, and it ends with him squaring off against a Nazi pilot all alone and revealing that he still has what it takes to be a Blackhawk. And we also learn that, in fact, his wife has been deceased for many years. He still writes her letters, but she is no longer alive, and that gives the Blackhawk some concern that he's losing it. But as we learned, they said, no, he's, he's, he's a, a valued member of the team, and while he's older than the rest of them, he still has what it takes. So this one's called The Private War of Hendrickson, and uh, like I said, it's a really, again, it's another really solid story uh, about something, about somebody who, you know, is is older. I mean, you know, imagine what it must be like to be in your, presumably your 50s or 60s and doing all this physical stuff and putting your life at risk constantly. That's got to take a toll on you. This one made me sad. 
uh, this one actually broke my heart because when it was revealed that he's writing a letter letters to his dead wife, I was just like, God, man, wow, why don't you just grab my heart, rip it out of my chest, Kali Ma style, <laughs> and and just you know it made me sad, but it also made me connect to Hendrickson, you know, because I love my wife and I could not imagine one being apart from her or two, her not being there anymore and how I would deal with that. And the kicker of this one, and again, Evan Year is brilliant at this throughout the series. The kicker is Henriksen grabbed a letter off the Nazi he killed. And it's a letter this guy had not yet mailed to his wife. Right. So it's one of those moments where it's like, we're fighting on opposite ideological sides here. But deep down, when you strip away all of that, we're, we're the same. You know, that Nazi just wants to get home to his family, too. You know, he just happens to be on the wrong side of history. Yeah. So, you know, with, with all of that in there, it's just, you don't get, you know, it makes us sound like, you know, shouting at kids getting off our lawn. They don't make music like they used to. Um, but it's just, you don't get these done-in-ones like this as much anymore and certainly not in mainstream books like i won't pick up a dc book and get a done in one you know character driven story it's got to be you know as you know especially for one of the big guys like jeff johns isn't going to do this you know yeah he's just not yeah i mean every once in a while he'll do like a one-shot story but they're all all they do is serve to further the next storyline so it's just like you know why it's not that it's worse because, you know, art evolves and storytelling in, in any medium evolves. I mean, there was a time where the comic was an eight-page story, so you had to pack everything into that eight pages. But still, there, there's just something about this issue in particular that just spoke to me, uh, especially the cover. It's a beautiful cover by Cockrum. Yeah, Blackhawk just fighting, uh, looking really mad, shooting his gun off. There's, we, you know, so far we've made it sound like these are very serious, and they are, but Evanier was great at writing humor, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of great gags, and there's a, there's a visual gag here in this issue in page 17 where there's a dogfight going on, and Stanislaus is fighting, uh, flying upside down, and you see these little insets of their heads as they're talking to one another, and Stanislaus is upside down, and so is the word balloon, uh, which I thought was just a great little gag of just having the word balloon be upside down. <laughs> well, well, even even... The trick he uses, which I always like, is that, you know, the letters he's writing are saying very different thing than what's actually going on around him. Right. Uh, which is sometimes funny and sometimes a little sad, but still it serves to kind of break up, uh, break up the seriousness of the story. Yeah. And it has a sweet, it has a, a very bittersweet ending, as you mentioned about the Nazi writing a letter back to his wife, so... Uh, and the le- and the uh, letters page again. No letters of the comic have come in, so Evanier is still filling the space. Uh, this issue features uh, profiles of all the characters, gives a little detailed bullet points of uh, of all the Blackhawks. So in uh, number two fifty four, Blackhawk runs into Domino again, is kidnapped again, uh, which leaves an uncertain Stanislaus in charge. Blackhawk ends up being strapped to a Nazi tank, which we see on the cover once again by Cockrum. Uh, who demand uh, Blackhawk demands his teammates destroy him and it to save civilian lives, uh, which of course they refuse to do. The Blackhawks get out of it. Blackhawk does not die in number two fifty four, as you might imagine. Uh, this features the first of many uh, backup strips. Uh, mm-hmm. In this case, this is a solo Chuck adventure drawn by Dave Cockrum, 
So, uh, yeah, yet another thing, though, of comic errors going by is the, the backup strip. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they kind of did this off and on on DC for a while there, where they had the co-feature. Because apparently if you called it a backup strip, you were, you know, like, you know, a wuss or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I never I never got why they were so defensive about calling it a co-feature. Uh, I liked the main story, but these little backups that kind of give you insight into the characters uh, are just fantastic. I, I, I did chuckle a little bit when we see Chuck going to New York for the first time because he looks like he's kind of dressed in Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> so I'm expecting, like... Uh, Dustin Hoffman to come out at any point. But, I'm um, going to the city to be a stud. But, uh, you know, it's he goes to a burlesque show, and Cockrum and Evan Ear do a great job of putting that show into the story mm-hmm. and, and having it, like, have a meaning. And, and again, I, I like those little things. And, you know, I, I think any writer, uh, artist as well, but, but a writer specifically in this instance, I think they should be like sat down and made to write eight page stories Mm -hmm. because that's going to teach you structure and getting your point across. I mean, if you're like, well, I got 12 issues to tell this so I can have an issue where they're just sitting there talking to each other in a cafe. And it's just like, okay, that's, that's interesting. And I was very well written, but you know, with this little backup story, we got everything we needed to know about Chuck. Mm -hmm. Just, just right then and there. And the artwork was a lot of fun. Uh, Cockrum's, Cockrum's a good mix with Spiegel, artistically. Uh, they have very different styles, but it's not dissimilar. So that's jarring when you turn the page. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and it's it, and it, it's a per, in a in a book where you've got seven main characters and you by default kind of have to give Blackhawk the most of the action. These little backups are perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, okay, now I get a chance to see what this Chuck. Because you know, especially when they have all their uniforms on, they can sort of look like a lovable mob a little. You know, and it's hard to tell some <laughs> of them apart. So this is perfect. You're like, okay, I get to see a solo adventure featuring this guy, and that's going to inform how he's going to respond. Because later on in the series, and one of the other angles that Evanier brings into these books is that, uh, as we've mentioned, Stanislaus is the the de facto leader of the team when Blackhawk is not around, and Blackhawk getting kidnapped left and right in these books. Yeah. So uh, Domino's always looking to, to, to kidnap him and then, you know, do whatever she wants with him. So Stanislaus is in charge, and Stanislaus is very nervous. He, does, he thinks he's not good enough to run the team. And of all the members, Chuck is the one most willing to be critical. And there's points where it actually gets a little nasty, where Chuck yeah. is really kind of hard on Stanislaus. And you're sort of like, wow, why is this, you know... And, and, you know, not that this backup gives you all the details or anything like that, but it does give you just a, a greater understanding of who he is and why, of all of them, he seems the most harsh towards Stanislaus. And so it's like, yeah, these are seven guys that don't necessarily get along. They weren't planning to be together. They were sort of thrown together by circumstance. So they're not always going to get along. And, uh, you know, again, it's just another nice detail that, that Evanier threw in. Yeah, and, and it's good drama. I mean... More than anything else, it gives you kind of an emotional hook uh, as as the reader that, you know, everyone kind of has their place. And to be fair, I think most of us have worked jobs where maybe you were put in charge of something because the boss is out of the office or whatever. And then suddenly the guy that you got along with is giving you crap 
for whatever reason, you know, like kind of challenging your authority. And it's oh, just yeah. like, yep. dude, shut up yep. and let me do my job. So, yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then this is, and imagine that's, imagine that scenario when it's life and death, you know, mm-hmm. it's annoying enough when you're running a record store or something, but when you're actually dealing, fighting with Nazis, it's a pretty, pretty big deal. So yeah, I said every one of these stories of I've really been enjoying, you know, these are all like winners right in a row. So uh, it's pretty remarkable. Um, for Blackhawk 255, this is about a small child who was secretly a Nazi sympathizer, gives Blackhawk a medallion as a reward for courage. Little does he know that it's a radio transmitter for the Nazis to use to send subliminal messages to him, making him doubt his bravery and intelligence. Tortured by nightmares, visions, Blackhawk ends up alone in a desert fighting these hallucinations. The Blackhawks find him and rescue him, but tensions in the team run high with Stanislaus in charge. Uh, this features another solo story, this time starring Olaf and again drawn by Dave Cockrum. The cover is by Ed Hannigan and Dave Cockrum, but for the many years, even though the signatures are right there, I always thought it was by Joe Kubert. Because it looks yeah, very cuberty. Yeah, I was about to say, when I first picked up the cover and I saw that Hannigan's name was on it, I was like, you're lying to me. This is this is Joe Kubert. I mean, seriously. Plus, it seems like a book Joe, Joe Kubert would have worked on. Mm-hmm, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, the backup in this is a lot of fun because it's a guy, you know, pretending to be a Blackhawk ends up having to uh, be an honorary Blackhawk through circumstance, uh, and I, and I like that he's never ratted out for it. Mm-hmm. Like, in fact, at the end, he even gets a Blackhawk hat. <laughs> so uh, it's just a fun little story. The uh, This kind of continued story that would go on with the medallion over the next couple of issues, I thought was, an, again, a nice way to have a continued story, but still having a satisfied individual issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, historic also, not because of the story or anything, but I think this is the very first Meanwhile column in this book hmm. by Dick Giordano. That's interesting. Because he was just uh, uh, promoted to managing editor. And meanwhile, was it's just one of those things that I will always, if I'm reading an old DC book, I will read the meanwhile column. It's yeah, those, were, those are you, great. Yeah, uh, I really wish Tomorrow's would like publish a book of them. Like get them all collected into one book and, and put it out. I don't know if they could do that. But still, it would be really neat to have that because it's such a time capsule to this era of DC. And that's another thing I liked about these Blackhawk issues in total is that this is the time where DC really started getting good in the 80s, like as, as a company. Like all of the, the house ads start getting more exciting and they're leading up to the crisis and everything. So it's, an, you know, it just... Like, in this one, it, it talks about history of the DC Universe, and that would become Crisis. Right. So, I, I just, I, it's why I like collections, and I like trade paperbacks, and my bookcase is getting full of them. But you can't beat as a time capsule to the era the book came out in reading stuff like this. Oh, I remember there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a meanwhile column where Dick Giordano mentions, like taking the train home and he's mm-hmm. been reading the script to a Frank Miller Batman story. You're like, yeah, <gasps> you know, I know what that's going to be. <laughs> so, you know, like, Oh my God. Yeah. This, this, I, I would, I don't know. Hmm, I don't know if I would buy a book of meanwhile comes, but I'd consider it. I really would. And it'd be pretty cheap. 
right? I mean, it'll yeah. be like 40 or 50 pages, so it would really be a pretty thin volume. Yeah, that would, that would be very entertaining to read. Um, this issue features, again, it's always uh, Dan Spiegel doing the artwork. He really outdoes himself in this one because during these sequences where Blackhawk is having hallucinations, they're done in black and white. Mm-hmm. And they're they're mixed in with the color pages, and they look like horror sequences. I mean, they are Blackhawk is fighting like a giant spider at one point. I mean, they're really beautifully done, and the fact that they're mixed in with the color artwork is just uh, it, it's they make for really really handsome pages. I mean, Spiegel really is killing it with these stories. Yeah, giant spider. Did John Peters produce this issue? Yeah. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Uh, I want want to see that movie so bad. Um, But uh, uh, the next issue is number 256, which is the Nazis are experimenting with a Frankenstein-esque super soldier. That's no way that could go wrong. Stanislaus is kidnapped and experimented on turning him into one of the rampaging monsters. Blackhawk swears vengeance on a Nazi named Von Tepp, who is behind the bombing of the Polish village that Blackhawk came from. Mm -hmm. The cover is by Ernie Cologne. Uh, who was uh, eventually the editor of Blackhawk. This is where uh, Evanier tips a little into, I think, giving a nod to more comic booky traditions, because here you've got basically the Incredible Hulk as a Nazi. Yes. Uh, but, it, yeah. you know, it doesn't, I don't know. I, how do you feel? Do you feel like it's jarring? In the, in... It, it is. I, I think it, it, it almost makes it a little silly. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean this 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 is what you expect in like the 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 fifth season of a of a TV show <laughs> where they've kind of run out of ideas. So, okay, let's bring out Sasquatch. Uh, you know, we're we're, we're going to have uh, it's going to sound like a bizarre comparison, but when uh, William Cat came on for the Greatest American Hero, he told Stephen J. Cannell, "I don't want to be fighting a monster in a sewer." And in the third season, when Cannell wasn't as involved with the series. He was fighting a monster in the sewer. So th- th- this is what that kind of is, is that we're, we're, we're tripping away from the more World War II elements and introducing a sci-fi, well, still kind of grounded. I mean, the artwork doesn't lose any quality. The writing doesn't dip in quality at all. In fact, the last page of this book, I would love to own the original art to this. The, uh, the full-page splash of the forest going up? Yeah, uh, no, oh, the, oh, the last shot of the, all the Blackhawks with all the Blackhawks and you know, you know, Blackhawk himself looking like you know somebody's gonna get their ass kicked, uh, and it, and 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 they got like five other guys behind him that are gonna help. But I didn't mind it, but I got to admit that this is where this was the, like the first issue I didn't like as much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know if that makes any sense. It's no, like, no, yeah, 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 no, I like them all. It, well, it's the re- to me, it's you know, I love all the three Star Wars movies. I just like mm. Jedi the least of the three. <laughs> and there's only three Star Wars movies to like, so therefore, it's good. <laughs> I like so. Um, <laughs> but no, this was a fun. It was at least fun. I mean, you know, Stanislaus getting a kidnapped and turned into a a monster uh, a nazi superman he actually looks like commandy on steroids yeah because he got right, his uh, hair grows long for some reason and all that and it's the, the thing about this series and and and, and again i i make these bizarre comparisons this feels like it could have been like a late 70s tv show as well uh 
you know, like a good one, not like, you know, like <laughs> a lousy one. And this is like the more silly sweeps week show where they're just trying to get some viewers by doing something weird. I don't know why. I mean, it, it never struck me in any of the 10 issues that I read for this episode that Evan Year was doing anything to try to get readers. It always seemed like he was just trucking along doing his thing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of I'm kind of curious as to why he added this kind of sci-fi element. May is it to kind of like you know like harken back to a time where they were a little sci-fi in the fifties? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, it could it might have just been that he's you know just trying to give people what he thinks maybe they want. You know, the, the Blackhawk I'm sure was a tough sell. Mm-hmm. Even in 1982 or 83, so, you know, maybe throwing... And the cover certainly highlights that, because the cover by Cologne has got the giant monster, you know, flipping the Blackhawks and stuff. So, I mean, it lets people know what, what's inside, so... Um, Blackhawk 257 is continuing that story. He runs into... Blackhawk runs into the monstrous Stanislaus in France, not realizing who he is. Some of the other Blackhawks square off against Domino, who returns. And Von Tepp claims Blackhawk's medallion as a prize, not knowing its destructive powers. The Blackhawks find their leader and tell him the monster is they're fighting is Stanislaus. Uh, he is then brought back to Blackhawk Island to see if he can be returned to normal. Blackhawk is torn with guilt, leading one of his men into such danger. And also features a Stanislaus solo story drawn by John Severin. Yeah. One of my all-time favorite people, John Severin, who, like, was not doing any comic book work outside of Cracked Magazine. <laughs> I, what, like, what a great, you know, like, what a wonderful thing to have John Severin in the back of your, your DC comic book. It's fantastic. Drawing a, a really interesting little story. I mean, a little a little sci-fi because it's got a giant robot in it. Right. But it doesn't lose its edge at any point. It's you know it's a, it's a pretty simple story. It's like I don't want to do this boring thing. Oh, something exciting happens during it. Yep. Uh, so, but again, these are the tropes. And when you walk into something like this, you expect you 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 can't complain about it because it, it's what you're there for. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if I go to McDonald's, I can't complain that they have hamburgers. You know, it's just like it's kind of right there on the sign. I, I will say, as much as I liked Dave Cockrum, and as much as the Ernie Cologne and the and the Ed Hannigan covers were great. Oh yeah, man, these Howard Chaykin covers just speak to me. Oh yeah, he obviously. I mean, you know, I know he eventually wrote and drew the 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 more adult Blackhawk miniseries, but man, he obviously loved this character. Yep. Yep, he yep. draws the hell out of these covers. Yes. I mean, and I don't think Howard Chicken was doing any Marvel or DC work at the time because he was busy doing, I think, American Flag. Who for, looks a lot like Blackhawk. Who looks like Blackhawk, yeah. I mean, you, you get the feeling like that Chicken, if, if Chicken could have worked in a nude woman, it would have been everything that he loves in one spot because it's like planes, a guy with a gun, a, a swastika in flames. Oh, you know, it's God. like it's just like he. Imagine him doing a domino cover. I mean, oh, it good. Oh, that would have not been approved by the comic. <laughs> that uh, that one. The, the, the comics code would have been like, no, wait, hold on, that's just going too far. One of the other things that's sort of um, semi-controversial, maybe that's. That's probably too grandiose a word, but it's in this issue's letter column where Evanier flat out says that this is this book features the adventures of Blackhawk of Earth One. This is these are the first adventures of the Earth One Blackhawks. That all mm-hmm. the previous adventures were Earth Two, and he also mentions that some Blackhawk stories simply never happened. 
that they're not in continuity. And it's really funny that uh, almost around the same, almost the exact same time over in Batman and the Outsiders, when Mike W. Barr offered that opinion, he got death threats. Mm-hmm. Because it tore fandom apart. And yet here's Mark Evanier saying the exact same thing, which shows you that clearly the uh, average comic book fanboy didn't give a shit about Blackhawk. They weren't, <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't reading it. And the ones who were reading it were probably a little older and weren't just so maybe obsessed with continuity. So they read that and kind of went, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you yeah, know, and then they weren't bothered the, by it. Ten, Fifteen years ago, this would have been the message board you could go on and have a civil conversation. Yeah. Whereas the Batman and the Outsiders message board would have been the one where you just didn't want to go because they were just going to rip rip your head off. Uh, yep. One of the letter hacks in this one is a name I recognize because he has one of the most unfortunate last names in history. <laughs> uh, Kent A. Fennis. Yep. <laughs> I feel bad for that guy. But no, he I, I, I've seen his name in letter column all over the place uh, in D.C. Uh, not, I haven't read as much Marvel from this era, but I always like seeing the letter hacks. Because uh, I did that for a little bit in the like 1999, 2000, and got about seven or eight letters published uh, in various Superman books and such. It was all through email at that point. But mm. still, there's, again, it's one of those things that I miss because this was, you know, chosen very carefully, I'm sure. But this was where you got what people were thinking of the books and of the characters and everything. Uh, and a good letters page was a mix of complaints and praise. So, uh, though I like that Evan Year will occasionally apologize for the fact that he doesn't publish as many letters as he should. Yeah, yeah. He, he talks about, let's see if we can get three letters in. And then he gives some really long-winded answer. And he's like, nope, not this month. We'll try it again next month. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the letter comms are always routinely very entertaining. He gave really good, engaged answers, you know? Mm-hmm. He's clearly really, really into it. Um, next up is Blackhawk 258. Is the Blackhawks learn about the Manhattan Project. Each of them take their own view of the incipient nuclear age. Uh, Andre seems the least disturbed because he assumes that now with everybody having nuclear weapons, that'll be sort of like a you know mutually assured destruction thing, so no one will ever use them. Uh, but he doesn't really care because he's distracted by his budding romance with, uh, with the nurse put in charge of Stanislaus' recovery. Uh, some Nazis get a hold of an atomic bomb, which they use to blow up Blackhawk Island. Uh, and as if that isn't bad enough, uh, Andre and Stanislaus start talking about that each one of them was in charge of getting the nurse off the island, and then they realize neither one of them did. So the nurse went up with Blackhawk Island. And the final, the, uh, the, this feature is a really wonderful moment by Dan Spiegel. I mean, I'm going to be saying that a lot, or I already have said it a lot. But in the page where, uh, well, first of all, the story starts off with two. It, it starts off and ends with a black and white single page image, a single page image, yes, of a young child and her dog watching a nuclear cl- uh, a mushroom cloud, and it has this really very heartbreaking poem about you know, sort of done in like a sing-song childlike language, but talking about the destruction of the world. And it's very, very upsetting. Um, but in the page just before we see Blackhawk Island go up, we have a single panel of the Blackhawks watching it happen, and it's done without color. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's done in black line and yellow background, a yellow color background, but no color on their faces. And it's a really wonderful little effect, and you really 
feel the power of it. And then so the story ends again with that same little child um, walking with her dog. And at this point, this is post. This is the post blast, and it's really a heartbreaking image, especially seeing the dog. And I'm going to read a little. I'm going to read a little bit of it, even though it's it's upsetting. And it's Spot and I are very happy ever since the town went boom. Now there is no school to go to. I don't have to clean my room. Things are peaceful with no problems, no adults to yell and shout. Then again, today I noticed all Spot's fur is coming out, and my skin is slowly turning green and yucky, blue and squirmy, since the bomb they dropped on Christmas. Happy New Year, Dr. Fermi. And uh, that's the end of the story. And it's, you know, it, it, it's, I'm going to guess, is this the one you saw, you thought was a little heavy-handed? Yeah, but, I mean, this was 1983. Uh, yeah, we were, this, this we were living be- under that, yeah. Yeah, this probably was around the time the day after. Yep, came on to television, and you know, nuclear war. I I, I asked. There, there's some some kids that work for me that are like, and one of them just turned 21, and I flat out asked them one day. I go, "Have you ever been afraid of nuclear war?" And they're going, "No, never." You know, we're afraid of terrorist attacks, but we're not afraid of nuclear war. I'm like, that must be nice. Mm-hmm. Because I was scared to death as a kid. Nightmares, screaming nightmares, waking up, uh, scared wow. of the news. I mean, it was just, it was something that, it was, a, it was a terror for me. And I'll never forget when they announced the dissolution of the, of the USSR, like in 1991, I, I was like, okay, now I can relax. Because <laughs> uh, it's not going to be, you know, it's not an issue anymore. And, you know, to be fair... Evanier tackles the issue from all sides. It's not, it's an anti-nuke story that at least wants to have the discussion instead of having like all the characters be anti-nuke. Right. Um, I have a weird, uh, you know, we just celebrated uh, the 60th, I believe it would be the 60th or 70th uh, anniversary of uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And... Everybody has really complicated feelings about that. Many people thinking that, you know, we should have just never develop the bomb in the first place. And arguments that, you know, well, it wasn't really as bad as they were saying. You know, we could have invaded without using the bomb. Japan had pretty much already given up, etc. And then I think I wouldn't be alive. Because my grandfather was a Marine in World War II. Uh, my dad's dad. And my dad was born in 44, so 1945, he was alive. But my grandfather was sitting on a boat waiting to invade Japan when the bomb hit. Wow. Uh, and he told me one day, I saw those fortifications. We were going to die. And, I, and that hit me at that point, because I think about things too much, that <laughs> if he had died, my dad would have lived a very different life. Sure. Which would not have, which might not have led him to meeting my mom, and I don't exist. So it's like one of those weird things where I recognize the horror of it, but I have a personal stake in it happening, in, in, in a really kind of roundabout way. So I read these stories, and that's all I think about is like, okay, this is a very well written issue, you know. He, he, you know, and it's always weird talking about atomic, you know, atomic bomb stories in World War II before the bomb actually is invented. And all that, because the writer has the benefit of hindsight and history sure. to, to know what to talk about. But 
I think Evan Year did a really good job talking about the history of the atomic bomb and showing, you know, Andre's character change because of it, the progression there. And my one thing was like, they let a woman die. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's like, seriously, that was, that was my takeaway from the end of this issue is like, you know, they're all upset, but it's like, guys, it's kind of your fault for not paying attention. So it's, it, it was, a, it was, it was the heaviest issue of the uh, 10 that we're covering today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it also, you know, by its nature, uh, contributes something to the Blackhawk ongoing storyline by getting rid of Blackhawk Island. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, Blackhawk Island is not this beloved place. It's not the Batcave. It's not, you know, what is on Paradise Island. But nevertheless, it was always part of the Blackhawk mythos. And here is Evan Ear saying he's willing to, you know... He's not returning all the characters to status quo. You know, he's actually going to do something a little significant and blow up the island. And then, you know, yeah. And and the thing with Andre, it's like Evanier isn't mocking Andre for his sort of cavalier attitude. He makes – he's sort of giving Andre the chance to take it more seriously. But but he doesn't actually say that Andre's wrong. I mean Andre Mm – Andre's belief is if everybody has a nuclear bomb – then no one will ever use it because we know that that will, you know, everyone will know that what that will lead to. So it's kind of a standoff. And he doesn't, Evanier in the story doesn't come out and, and, and mock that view. He just has Andre sort of just realize, kind of sober up a little, yeah. uh, which I think is a, a very, you know, very, again, fair and, and, and even-handed attitude, even though clearly, you know, Evanier is against, I mean, does he seem silly to say he's against nuclear war? Who wouldn't be? I mean, for, yeah. you know. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think we think it's a little heavy-handed, but I also find that that image, that image of the little girl walking with her dog is very upsetting to me. Uh, and it's done in black and white. Uh, Spiegel does a tremendous job. This is, again, another instance of, of having somebody that can, is good at drawing regular people works perfectly. So I, I, re- I read those pages again, and that they're just, they're just deeply upsetting. Yeah, well, um, anything to do with a dog will just yep, get, yep, just, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm got one in my lap right now, and it's making me go. sad. Yeah, the, uh, the the what? No, go ahead. The Iwo Jima inspired cover uh, really kind of belies the the horrific nature of this issue. It's just like you know, it's like, hey, we're winning, the, and it's like the end of Blackhawk Island. It's just like, this is an interesting image. I get the and, feeling that Howard Chaykin just could not draw the Blackhawks doing anything other than kicking ass. Uh, and one of the few to work in uh, Japanese iconography right. instead of swastikas. Right. Uh, which I thought was interesting. Again, you know, th- I don't think there's a single Chaykin cover to this series that could not be its own poster. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. God, it's so awesome. Clearly, to look at. clearly enjoying himself. Uh, the next issue is about as big of a change of pace as possible, and I have to wonder if Black, if uh, Evanier didn't design it that way on purpose. Uh, this is another one and done. This is uh, Meek Winslow Shirk wants to join the Allied fight, but he's considered too blind and too weak to join up. Spurred on by a newsreel about the Blackhawks, he decides to go. He's going to join the team, and he gets in a boat and heads for Blackhawk Island. Uh, only to find, of course, it's no longer there. He takes in a heavy dose of radiation. After that, he becomes invisible and decides to use his newfound power to become a Blackhawk, unbeknownst to the rest of them. 
He ends up saving the life of Winston Churchill, but disappears before the Blackhawks can figure out what happened. They erect a statue on the new Blackhawk Island to the mystery Blackhawk. And soon after, Shirk's invisibility wears off, and he returns to America with a new sense of purpose. Uh, it features a chop-chop solo story drawn by Bill Ziegler, who I was unfamiliar with to this point, but apparently did a lot of ghosting work in comics, and this is one, oh. of, his, one of his first you know, actual uh, pieces where he got the sign. Uh, the cover is by Chaikin. Again, at night, Blackhawk's parachuting in, killing Nazis. It is... Again, as Mike said, a beautifully postery image. Uh, it's just fantastic. This is actually one of my favorite stories because it's so—it's just whimsical. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, after Evan the heavy, his most light touch. Yeah, after the heaviness of, of of nuclear destruction, we have this guy that and and you and you said before, all of these stories are about something, and what this story is about is that this guy leaves a very bland life, wants to do something with it, realizes that. You know, what he wanted to do, he can't do, but he's still going to make a change. You know, he progresses through the course of the story. And, yeah, it's funny because he's invisible, and then he puts on a mask, and he's, you know, walking around, and he's helping them. He's helping the Blackhawks, and they erect the statue, uh, or they, they get the statue and everything. I just, I love the panel on the final page of this story where he becomes visible again and all the women are fainting because he's nude right yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and it's just like he received a suspended sentence (laughs) i feel like this would have been played by don knotts if they had made a blackhawk show in the 70s you know yeah i just would have had that kind yeah it's a really sweet story and and again evan excelled at this he did a lot of this in crossfire where he would pick another random character and focus the story on him and crossfire would sort of be the peripheral character uh, and that's what goes on here. And as I said, I have to think that this was designed to purposely run after the nuclear bomb one, just as a nice change of pace. The uh, Chop Chop backup was fun. Uh, it kind of reminded me, a couple years ago, they put out called Emerald Knights. Mm-hmm. And it was a bunch of, it was basically Tales of the Green Lantern Corps, the movie. And all of them had their own as like a you know 70s era Hong Kong action film mm-hmm. uh, very martial artsy and that's what this is now because it's the 80s and our concept of what the martial arts are is very limited compared to what we would note you know even a couple years later all of the action sequences are very kind of like that that, that you know, I don't even know how to describe it because it's not Bruce Lee, but it's what an American thinks a martial arts scene should be, Mm -hmm. I guess, because of the way they're holding their hands bothers the crap out of me. Still, at the same time, it's a fun chop chop story Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, where he learns a lesson, you know, you know, he, he meets his old master and learns that, you know, uh, basically he needs to stop telling everybody what they need to do and he needs to take action himself. So, just a, a good solid backup. I like. I was not disappointed with any of the backups, actually. Yep. No. Uh, absolutely. In this entire series. Yep. Uh, and then, so the last one we're going to cover for this episode is number two sixty, and this is actually three Blackhawk solo stories, featuring a wraparound stuff by Dan Spiegel. I guess Dan got the month off. Uh, one stars Andre, drawn by Howard Chaikin, mm-hmm. <laughs> who does the cover. Um, another stars Hendrickson, drawn by Dick Rockwell, and one. Uh, starring Blackhawk, drawn by, oh, well, I don't know, somebody, uh, Alex Toth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so you think about that uh, uh, there was a time where you could spend 60 cents and get Howard Chaykin and Alex Toth in the same comic book. <laughs> uh, yeah, th- this is... Oh, this is... Oh, I God, I love this issue. <laughs> yeah, it, it was great. Uh, the Andre story is fantastic. Uh, it's you know Andre and the and the one that got away because he's the womanizer, but there yep. was always the one that he loved. It's drawn by Chaykin, so she's gorgeous. Yeah, of course. Um, I love Chaykin's style. You know, I really at some point I got to pull the trigger and actually read American Flag. I understand it's insane. Oh, it it is. It's crazy. Yeah, but. You know, everything I've ever read when Shaken became Shaken. I mean, like, his Star Wars work, he's not quite Shaken. No, yet. right, right, right. Yeah, his style is still forming, yeah. But, uh, you know, everything I've ever read of Shaken, I've enjoyed. Uh, at least on an artistic level. I like the way it looks. You know, he's got a very definitive style about him. So I really enjoyed that. I think the name Dick Rockwell, he has to be the manliest man on the face of the planet, man. When you've got a name like that, it's just like... You're like you're like you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is like eat a box of concrete or something. I don't know. <laughs> that's just that's just a great name. The art isn't. I see why they put it in the middle. And as a story, I didn't you know it didn't engage me as much because it was basically basically Burt Ward's a comedian. Yeah. Uh, and he's insulting his higher command, but he ends up being a hero. So. You know, even even the the little guy who is kind of goofy and not your typical soldier has a place in this world. And I'm sorry, it looks like Burt Ward this entire story. I never thought of that, uh, but you're right. Uh, and and then you have this great uh, Blackhawk story, where his old friend that was constantly getting him into trouble over the years basically almost rats him out to the bad guys, and he just ends up leaving him somewhere. It's great. Yeah. I loved this story. And it's it's got a lot of uh, biplane action, which I think was part mm-hmm. of the reason it attracted Alex Toth, because Alex Toth just loved drawing airplanes. <laughs> I, I I have a feeling either this this Evanier wrote this and somebody looked at it and said this will be perfect for Toth, or they wanted to get Alex Toth. So Evanier's like, let me give let me put one right over the plate for Alex. So here you go. The text piece about who really created Blackhawk was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Plus, it gave you kind of a history. Of Will Eisner, if you didn't know who he was, and it was so. funny enough, it was written by Cat Ironwood, yeah, from the clip from Eclipse Comics, not from somebody at DC, which is like I think is the only time I've ever seen Cat Ironwood's name in a non, you know, like Eclipse comic. I mean, I really grew up with her because I read a lot of Eclipse books, and I was really surprised to go back and read this. I'm like, what? Cat Ironwood wrote this? Like, why? You know? But it's yeah, it's very well done, and it, it's you know, pretty lengthy and does. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a really, really good piece. Well, I don't know if you noticed to go back an issue in two fifty nine. there was a letter from Stephen Scott, Bo Smith. Oh no, I didn't. Oh, look at that. Oh, you're right. Oh, that's Bo funny. Smith. Yeah. Bo Smith. He was a, a godfather of podcasting, by the way. How so? He in the eighties would tape himself talking about comics and send it to people. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Yeah, I read about because he he was uh, I I got a. Some people are gonna wonder what I'm talking about, and some people are probably sob. I found an entire run of Airboy in a fifty cent box. Okay, I remember that book. Yeah, 
And I loved it because it's early Tim Truman and it's early Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan and all that. And it's one of those books I'd always wanted to read. And there was the entire run in a 50 cent, you know, 50 cents an issue. So I'm like, yoink. And he, you know, Bo Smith was big in Eclipse Comics. And in one of the letters columns, he talked about it. And I forget the name of it. But I actually, on Facebook at one point a couple years ago, mentioned it. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he, he said the name of it. And he talked about it. So I will always consider Bo Smith the godfather of, uh, of p- comic book podcasting because he was doing it in the 80s. Wow. That is so, – that's crazy. <laughs> so uh, – but, yeah, it's just – I l- – this is another reason why I love this era, in, in, you know, in, 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 you know, because I wasn't collecting until 1987. I missed out on all this stuff. But I love going back and seeing the cross-pollination of these creators going from their independent work to the, you know, the, the mainstream stuff and all that. It's just – and just yeah, when I saw Cat and Ironwood, I was just like, "Really? Yeah. Okay, that's 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 exciting. That's that, that's something to take note of because that wasn't something that happened all that often." Yeah, yeah, it's really good stuff. Yeah, so you, these are, these issues are amazingly complete. They really give you a lot. And uh, like I said, the, the one with Alex Toth, it's a perfect time to end. And clearly, uh, which one which one of the dogs here is contributing? <laughs> this is crazy. So, 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 yeah, Gracie has had enough, so we're going to wrap up here. We plan to, plan to do it at this point anyway, so it's perfect. So um, Mike and I clearly love these books. We can tell, you can tell by just how enthusiastic we got. We, we plan to do this much shorter show, but we kept going because I really enjoy talking about these. And we are going to do part two at some point over at Views from the Long Box. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there, before we wrap up, Mike, is there anything else you want to say about this, this first half of the Blackhawk run before we uh, sign off? I'm so glad I bought them on a whim. Yes, they are I mean, really good. It, it was, it was. I got everything out of them that I wanted to, and more. I, I feel like I've kind of opened up my horizons as a as a comic reader because I'm usually a superhero guy. That's my bread and butter. But DC has such a wealth of, and I know they're originally quality characters, but still has such a wealth of other genres that they don't tap into anymore. That it's kind of neat going back and looking at these and seeing how well drawn, how well written, and how exciting they were. And it was a fun... I, I really am kind of upset that the Spielberg movie never happened. Yeah, it would have been interesting. Because if anybody was going to do a good job of that in the 80s, it was going to be Spielberg. That would have been really interesting. Yeah, just what that might have been like if they ever moved forward with that. So, uh, Yeah, yeah, and it's a damn shame these have never been collected. Uh, so if you see them like Mike did, if you see them out there, you can get them really cheap. Uh, I went back and picked up the few that I had didn't have and you can get them for like a buck or two. I mean, they're not collectible. So uh, they're absolutely worth it. You will totally get your money's worth, whatever it is you pay for them. So, so, uh, let's let's just wrap up here. Um, as always, if you want to send an email, you can shoot us, uh, shoot us missive off to firewaterpodcast.net, the Tumblr, which will put up some of the sweet, sweet artwork collected in the, uh, scene in these books, which is firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com. And the blog is firewaterpodcast.blogspot.com. Mike, where can people find you on the intertubes? Uh, there's Views from the Long Box at viewsfromthelongbox.com, uh, fortressofbailey2.com, which is my, well, at this point, not even remotely daily uh, Superman blog. Uh, from Crisis to Crisis is over there as well. I write for the Superman homepage, and there's Bailey's Batman podcast as well as the stuff I do for Two True Freaks. 
Awesome. Again, Mike, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I've been wanting to talk Blackhawks forever, and uh, I'm really happy we got a chance to do it, and I'm looking forward to part two because it will be super, super fun because we get to talk more about Domino. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that sound. It's perfect. She, so, uh, yeah. She's hot. <laughs> it's like you never left. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, I guess until the, until the next episode, fan the flame and ride the wave. Hawkeye! Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and Friends forever. Yeah. Thanks for helping us out up there. Don't thank us. We would have shot those planes down anyway. I've never seen an insignia like that. What country are you from? We're not from any one country. Andre's from France, Hendrickson's from Holland. Olaf comes from Norway, and I'm Blackhawk from Poland. All countries occupied by the Axis authorities. We Blackhawks bow to no authority until our homelands are free again. Vive la liberté!